In their own words, a collection of Mormon quotations has been a handy resource that details what Mormon leaders and manuals have taught regarding the doctrines of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Compiled by Mormonism Research Ministries' Bill McKeever, In Their Own Words has thousands of topical entries, and as a bonus, each copy includes a searchable CD version of the book. Order In Their Own Words directly from Mormonism Research Ministry at mrm.org. Once again, that's mrm.org. Viewpoint on Mormonism, the program that examines the teachings of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints from a biblical perspective. Viewpoint on Mormonism is sponsored by Mormonism Research Ministry. Since 1979, Mormonism Research Ministry has been dedicated to equipping the body of Christ with answers regarding the Christian faith in a manner that expresses gentleness and respect. And now, your host for today's Viewpoint on Mormonism. Welcome to this edition of Viewpoint on Mormonism. I'm your host, Bill McKeever, founder and director of Mormonism Research Ministry. With me today is Eric Johnson, my colleague at MRM. As we've been saying for the past several broadcasts, uh, it's often very frustrating when a Christian is talking to a Mormon friend, and they know what Mormon leaders have said about a given subject, but yet when they present this to their Mormon acquaintance, the Mormon acquaintance will sometimes not tend to agree with what those leaders have said, or they'll act like maybe you made it up, and that's not something that's been a part of Mormonism at all. So what we thought we'd do this past week is imagine that we are sitting in a class at Brigham Young University, Idaho, a class being taught by a a well-known professor, a well-liked professor at BYU by the name of Bruce Satterfield. It's a class titled Building an Eternal Marriage, Religion 235. What's interesting, this is a class on marriage, but there's a lot of emphasis in the class on the potential that Mormons have of becoming gods. And many times when we talk to our Mormon friends about this very sensitive subject, it's almost as if Mormons are embarrassed about it. And they usually try to downplay it or even outright deny it that whatever idea you may have about Mormons becoming gods is not true at all. So we thought, let's act as if we are auditing Mr. Satterfield's class and we are going to be given reading assignments from him. And this is what we've done. We've gone to his website where he has links for his students to read certain reading assignments. So we're looking at some of these assignments, and we're not going to go through them all because we're going to wrap this up today. But one of the reading assignments is one that's titled The Divine Potential of Man. And in this reading assignment are basically quotations from Mormon leaders. And today we're going to be focusing primarily on what Mormon prophets have taught about the subject of becoming gods just to show that this is what Mormon students are being taught in a church-owned school. So when people say, well, that McKeever and Johnson guy, those guys don't know what they're talking about. They're making it up. No, we didn't compile these quotations. These were compiled, we're assuming, by the professor of this class. Now, certainly some of the reading assignments are the talks given by other Mormon leaders, but still they are assigned to the students by this particular professor. He wants them to read these articles that teach exactly that, that Mormon males have the potential to become gods, that males and females can become kings and priests in the next life. And it gives the impression that they are going to rule over their own posterity 
as Mormons, of course, believe that Heavenly Father, or Elohim, is ruling over his posterity here on this earth, this planet earth. So we're just going through some of these quotations just to make the point that it is a fact that Mormons are taught that men can become gods, and they are taught this in classes at Brigham Young University. And so, we go on. The section that in this reading assignment, The Divine Potential of Man, we are to the subheading, The Prophets on Man's Potential for Godhood. And of course, we've already read Joseph Smith, where he said, God himself was once as we are now, and is an exalted man, and sits enthroned in yonder heavens. And of course, that's the key. God was once a human, who through his good works and through his merit, he eventually became the God that he is today. That is the potential that Mormons are taught that they have, that they also have this potential to become a God like God the Father is God. So we go on, we look at a statement by Brigham Young included here. Discourses of Brigham Young, page 245, it says, Intelligent beings are organized to become gods, even the sons of God, to dwell in the presence of the gods, capital G, and become associated with the highest intelligences that dwell in eternity. Do you find it significant that the word gods is capitalized? I mean, you are going to become in the same kind of way that God the Father is. You'll have the... Well, when they talk about God the Father, it's a capital G. And when they talk about men becoming gods, it's a capital G. Well, and probably because a small g would insinuate that it's a false god. So they're not going to be false gods. They are going to become real gods. But they would have to be false gods because the Book of Mormon says that there's only one true and living God. That's in the discourse between Amulek and Zeezrom. Is there more than one God? Amulek says no. The context is there's only one true and living God. So if a Mormon thinks that they're going to become a God in the next life, I can only assume from that discourse between Amulek and Zeezrom and Alma 11 that they're either going to be a false God or a dead God because there's only one true and living God. Yeah. And what do you do with the Mormon Godhead in light of that statement? Who's the false God or the dead God in the Mormon Godhead? Is it the Father? Is it the Son? Is it the Holy Ghost? If there's only one true and living God, the other two can't be. Mm -hmm. So there's a problem in their own theology there. The next quote we'll look at is from John Taylor. John Taylor was the third president of the Mormon Church, and this is taken from the book Mediation and Atonement, chapter 20. A man as a man could arrive at all the dignity that a man was capable of obtaining or receiving, but it needed a God, capital G, to raise him to the dignity of a God. Capital G again. Yeah. yeah. For this is. cause it is written, quote, now we are sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know what he shall appear. We shall be like him. End quote. And how and why like him? Because through the instrumentality of the atonement and the adoption, it is made possible for us to become of the family of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ, and that as he, the potential instrument through the oneness that existed between him and his Father, by reason of obedience to divine law, overcame death, hell, and the grave, and sat down upon his Father's throne, so shall we be able to sit down with him even upon his throne. Now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. They are assuming that that means we are going to take on the attributes of God. And that's a quote from the Bible. You know, cer certainly it is. But the point I'm trying to make here is we cannot draw that conclusion when we look at all the other verses in the Bible that certainly show us that that is not possible, that we will not become gods. Remember, the God of the Bible 
makes it very clear that he knows of no other gods. Right. There were no gods before him, neither shall there be any gods after him. So if a Mormon hopes that they are going to become a god, obviously they are becoming a god after the one they worship now as God. And according to the Bible, that's impossible. That's not going to happen. So to take this passage out of the New Testament and somehow give to it a meaning that humans are going to take on the attributes of deity as far as omniscience and omnipotence and things like that, that cannot possibly be. It would be erroneous to draw that conclusion based on all the other passages which would negate that kind of a conclusion. But that's what they do. We call that taking it out of context. Another uh, president they quote is Heber J. Grant in uh, Gospel Standards, page 38. And Grant said, These duties and obligations are calculated to make us godlike in our disposition. They are calculated to make gods of us and to fit and qualify us that we may become joint heirs with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. There's that word joint heirs again used in the Bible and used out of the context as you've you've shown that that's not what Paul is talking about when he's talking about joint heirs. Of course, Paul would have known this. Paul would have known what the Old Testament had to say about the oneness of God. I mean, Deuteronomy 6.4 would have been memorized by Paul as a young man that the Lord is one. So, To assume that somehow Paul is saying that men can become gods would go against the grain of everything a Jewish boy was ever taught on this subject. In other words, folks, they're reading something into the passage that obviously the author never intended. And that's always dangerous when you do that. You always want to know what was the intent of the author. That's what we're trying to glean when we read the Bible. He provides three quotes for 10th President Joseph Fielding Smith. I only want to read the first one from Doctrines of Salvation, Volume 1, pages 69 and 70. Listen to this. Mortality is the testing or proving ground for exaltation to find out who among the children of God. And that's everybody on this earth, Bill. That's everybody to find out who among the children of God are worthy to become gods themselves. And the Lord has informed us that, quote, few there be that find it, end quote. Certainly, because exaltation is not going to be given to all of mankind, only the very few that are repentant in the Mormon context, they confess and forsake their sin, and those who keep all the commandments. You have quotes in your book, in their own words, uh, similar to this, saying that there will be very few Latter-day Saints who actually are going to be able to find what they're striving for. Doesn't that concern you? If you're a Latter-day Saint, hearing a president say there's few, are you one of those few? Are you attaining everything that the church says you're supposed to? Because he even admits It's too hard for most of your people to be able to do where you headed. Probably no greater of a kingdom than Bill and I are going to be at. Can you imagine that? Well, Joseph Fielding Smith, I think, was also the one that said, we'll be lucky if we get half of the Latter-day Saints an exaltation in the celestial kingdom. I would say half is certainly being quite liberal. I don't think there's going to be any that qualify to be exalted in the celestial kingdom according to the standards that have been laid down by the church leadership for its membership. 
In fact, I recall talking to one lady who told me, oh, I gave up thinking of ever going to the celestial kingdom a long time ago. She said, I'm going to be content to go to the terrestrial. Do you understand the implications there? What she's basically given up is the idea of being with her family forever and ever, because that is the ultimate goal of most Latter-day Saints. It's not to be in the presence of God in heaven. It's to be with their family in the next life. I want to read the first part of the next quote from Spencer W. Kimball, The Teachings of Spencer W. Kimball, page 20. He says, Mortal man has not become what he may become. Perhaps there is something else that we will learn as we perfect our bodies and our spirits in the times to come. You and I, what helpless creatures are we? Such limited power we have, and how little we can control the wind and the waves and the storms. And he quotes Lorenzo Snow's couplet, but how much power do you have to be able to do all that you're supposed to do according to what the LDS Church says you're supposed to do? But they are given that promise that they have the potential. The last quotation in this reading assignment by Mr. Satterfield to his students was Ezra Taft Benson from the teachings of Ezra Taft Benson, page 21. As God's offspring, we have his attributes in us. We are God's in embryo and thus have an unlimited potential for progress and attainment. So the next time a Latter-day Saint tells you that they don't believe that they can become gods, take them to this course and have them audit it as well. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information regarding Mormonism Research Ministry, we encourage you to visit our website at www.mrm.org, where you can request our free newsletter, Mormonism Researched. We hope you will join us again as we look at another viewpoint on Mormonism. As with most Christian organizations, Mormonism Research Ministry depends on the generous financial support of friends like you. If you like what we do and how we do it, would you consider helping MRM meet its financial obligations? Merely go to our website, mrm.org. At the right, you'll see a donate button. Click there and follow the instructions. MRM is a Christian nonprofit 501c3 organization and your gifts are tax deductible. Not only that, they are greatly appreciated. Thank you for your support of this ministry. History.